Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. In Jesus' name. Let's pray over this lesson, and then we're going to dive right into the Word of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity in your house to hear from you, to glean from your Word. Lord, I ask you to help me to teach in a way that you can anoint. Help me to say something worth saying to these precious people. Let the seed of your Word fall on good ground tonight. Help us to be doers of your Word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We are in Revelation chapter 6, our 14th lesson in the book of Revelation. We're going to look tonight at verses 9 through 17. Thus far, if you've been following along with us on our study throughout the book of Revelation, John has been ushered into heaven by way of the Spirit. He is seeing visions and things from the Lord. Chapter 4, he sees things in heaven. Uh, chapter 5, he begins to continually see things in heaven. So chapter 4 and 5 are of heaven. And then chapter 6 comes along. And that's what we've, we looked at last time, the first part of chapter 6. And tonight we're going to look at the rest of chapter 6. We witnessed, if you remember, the Lamb, the only one in the universe that was worthy or had the right, if you will, to open up the scroll, the book that was sitting beside the throne. And he goes to it, he grabs it, and he begins to open up this scroll. We know that it's a scroll with seven seals. We talked about how a document like that uh, usually referred to a title deed of some sort. And so we believe that in chapter 6, the Lamb has been given his inheritance, and that is the title deed to the earth. And what happens is, each of these seven seals, so if this was a, if this was a old time scroll, you've got it rolled up, and as you would tear a seal, it would reveal a portion, and then another, you'd come to another seal, and you'd have to tear that, and then it would reveal another portion, and so on and so forth. Each seal that is being torn, what is happening? It is Jesus, by way of judgment, taking control of what is rightfully His, taking back what is rightfully His, and that is creation, that is the earth, that is the world. And so in the first part of chapter 6, we looked, and the first four seals, 
They were grouped together and they were open. Typically, we refer to these uh, seals as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the reason for that is obvious. Each seal is symbolized by a horse and rider. The first we talked about uh, was a white horse. Anyone remember what the white horse represented? False peace. False peace. So John sees as, as the lamb opens up that first seal, white horse comes riding by. That is a symbol of something real. And the real thing is the false peace that's going to take the earth at that time. One thing to, to note, there's no, we don't know the time frame here, right? We don't know how much time is passing between each. It's not like simultaneously by the second that each scroll or each seal is being torn. So this seal's torn, false peace comes across the earth. Um, and then the second, we don't know how much time has passed, but the second seal is opened up and that's symbolized by a red horse. And what that seal brings with it, what that horse and rider brings is catastrophic war to the earth. War like the world has never seen before. It's not just nation against nation, because that's the kind of war that we understand today. But the war that is going to be brought on by this red horse and rider, the war that's going to take the world at that time, is going to be even person against person. In fact, the amount of murders at that time is going to be so staggering and so shocking. And then, somewhere along the way, another seal is opened up, the third seal, and we see that that one is a black horse. John sees the black horse ride by, and that symbolizes famine and poverty on a level which the world has never experienced before. And it makes sense, right? Because uh, what follows war, famine and poverty, always follows war. And this is a worldwide war. So we have a worldwide famine and poverty uh, that is going to hit the world at that time. And then lastly, of the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse, we have the pale horse or what is, in all actuality, it's a yellowish or a puke green uh, kind of colored horse. And we talked about how this symbolizes death and hell. And literally, it's as if death is wiping out people and followed behind him is hell burying the dead. And so that's kind of the symbol. And when this seal is broken, a fourth of the world's population is going to die. That is catastrophic. I think we talked about how if numbers numbers today, that would be around 2 billion people that are going to die as a result of that fourth horseman being let loose on the earth. All of these first four seals uh, will put the world in, I guess to put it mildly, a very desperate place, very desperate position that we're going to see the world in. And it's interesting, Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 8, he sums it up, and he puts it this way. He says, this is just the beginning of the sorrows. So after these four horsemen are let loose, war 
on a level never before seen, famine and poverty on a level never before seen, um, sickness and death is going to hit the world. A fourth of the population is going to get wiped out. And Jesus says, this is the beginning of sorrows. Just the start. You know, somebody says it can't get worse. It can. And Revelation shows us that it does get worse. The book of Revelation. Let's look at Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13. This is Jesus speaking. And he's actually giving us uh, the layout of these seals, these seven seals that are going to break forth upon the earth. Uh, previously, he gives those first four, but I want to I show you Jesus has insight into the end of the world, and the vision that John sees mirrors perfectly the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, um, he says, verse 8, he says, is the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, he's talking about the fifth seal here that John sees. He says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that it shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. We don't know how it's going to work. And I'm not here to give you any kind of speculation on how this is going to work. Uh, it would take someone far wiser than me. In fact, it would take the Lord, because he hasn't made it clear in his word. All I know is this, and theologians have argued and wrestled over this, and they're good people on both sides. All I know is this. When all of this transpires, we've got the church is already in heaven. All of this is breaking loose on the earth. There is going to be a group of believers that come to salvation through the tribulation. Through all of this happening, there are going to be people that are saved in the midst of this. There's going to be believers, and these believers are going to experience hate and persecution on a level never before experienced in the history of the world. And since the beginning of time, there has been persecution. You read the Old Testament, uh, the Jews were persecuted all throughout the Old Testament. In modern times, Jews have been persecuted. Christians have been persecuted. That continues up to the present day. Uh, this has always happened. It's going to continue to happen. But the persecution that's going to hit the world during the Great Tribulation, the Tribulation, is going to be unlike anything that has ever come before in its severity. And that brings us to this fifth seal being broken uh, we can call this seal, if you will, the seal of prayer for revenge. A seal of prayer for revenge. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 really quickly. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? 
Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So here John is in heaven. He sees the first four seals being broken and the four horsemen that come from that. And then John looks at this next seal being broken and he is no doubt shocked. But this time, not only by what he sees, but he's shocked by what he hears. In order to understand this seal, we got to understand something first about God. So before I dive into explaining what's happening here, I want to lay a foundation about something about God that's very unpopular that we don't like to talk about in 2021. And yet it's true. Here's the truth about God that is ignored in 2021 that we for thousands of years have tried to press and suppress and act like this portion of God, this characteristic of God doesn't exist, yet it does exist. It's very much a part of who God is. God is a God of vengeance. That's the truth. He's a God of love. In fact, the Bible says He is love. He's a God of mercy. That's true. He's a God of grace. That's true. But He's also a God of justice and holiness. And what should strike fear into, the, into every heart of every unbeliever is the fact that the God that we serve is a God of vengeance. Deuteronomy 32.35 The Lord says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. If you read the Psalms, there are, and we're going to look at a few of them tonight, there are a few Psalms where the psalmist literally cries out to God, asking God to avenge him, to enact vengeance upon a sinful world. Let's look at Psalm 64, verses 7 through 9. It says, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. Psalm 79, verse 10. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by, here we go, the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. There's coming a day. Psalm 94, 1-5 O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the breakers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. God is a God of vengeance. It's clear. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah all speak 
of a God of vengeance, the vengeance of God. Nahum says that God is jealous, avenging, and wrathful. It is no wonder, I just talked to somebody just recently in this last week who doesn't believe that the Old Testament is uh, useful anymore for us. Why in the world would they believe? I wonder why. Because in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation, those are the two places, you read of a God of vengeance, a God of jealousy, and a God of wrath. It'd be nice just to block out three-fourths of your Bible and act like none of that exists, but it does. It does. And a day is coming where He shall enact His vengeance upon the world. And I want to be on the right side of that. As unpopular as it is, the truth is, God is a God of vengeance, and there's coming a day, when, and it's very soon coming, I believe, where He's going to pour out His wrath on sinners, and He's going to get vengeance for what has been done to His people in this world, and by this world. It's coming a day. And you know, it's interesting, because right now we're living under uh, grace, And the response of the disciples and men of God, even in the New Testament, when persecution would come, it would be, forgive them. Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, is saying, forgive them, pardon them, don't hold it against them. Jesus on the cross is praying, forgive them, don't hold it against them, what's happening right now. Paul witnesses to those uh, that persecuted him. On and on and on we see uh, in the New Testament, that's the uh, mindset, that's the attitude, because we're living under a dispensation of grace. But what we read about in this portion of Scripture in the book of Revelation, the church has already been taken out of the world. There's a shift that is taking place. And whenever we read what happens here, it's easier to understand once we understand that they're no longer living under a dispensation of grace. So knowing that God is a God of vengeance helps us see what we're going to experience here with this fifth seal. It makes perfect sense. John, as he looks and the Lamb opens another seal, it's the fifth seal, He doesn't just see what's happening, he hears. And what does he hear? He hears the cries of a persecuted people. He hears the cries of souls that have been slaughtered. Literally, the word slain there is slaughtered. He hears them crying out to God. And what are they crying? They are crying, how long will you wait to avenge us? These are the souls. It's no more the cry of Stephen which is forgive them, pardon them. Instead, we're seeing and we're experiencing the heart of these believers who have faithfully served God unto death. And they know what's written in this book. And they know the day is coming when vengeance is going to be set forth upon the world and God's going to make everything wrong right again. And they cry to God, how long are we going to have to wait. And that shakes us, right? When we read that in 21st century, 2021, we read that and that might even make us a little uncomfortable. 
Because after all, isn't the church supposed to be reaching the lost? Yes, we are. But after all, aren't we supposed to be, Jesus said, to forgive those that persecute us? Isn't that the attitude of the church? Yes, that is the attitude of the church. But there is coming a day when vengeance, grace will no longer be holding back the vengeance of God. And God's vengeance is going to be let loose upon the earth. I think that it makes us uncomfortable because we try in 2021, we do everything we can to keep people from being afraid of God. Think about it. We in the church bend over backwards trying to make people comfortable when we talk about the God that we serve. But there's some portions about the God that we serve that no matter how much you water it down, the only way that you can make them uncomfortable is just to not talk about it at all. And one of these is the vengeance, the absolute vengeance of God that is going to hit the earth. Who are these souls again? I mentioned it earlier. I believe that these souls are believers. They are tribulation believers. They are souls that are saved through the tribulation. How is it possible once the church is raptured is a question that no doubt would come to mind. And like I said before, I, I do not have a good answer for that. All I can do is trust the word of the Lord. I've talked to men of God that I trust. I've prayed about it. I've read his word. I don't know. Here's what I do know. In every dispensation from Adam until now, God has always provided a way of salvation and an opportunity for salvation. Right now, we're living in the grace dispensation. We've got to be born again of water and of spirit. Otherwise, we're not going to see the kingdom of God. We have to repent of our sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, you're not going to be raptured on that great and glorious day when the church meets Christ in the sky. But after the church leaves, I don't know what the next dispensation is going to hold. All I know is that we see here that there are believers during that time. So you got to ask, okay, church is gone. Who's doing the preaching or what is being preached? Jesus in Matthew 24, he says that the gospel of the kingdom. Now remember, Matthew 24, he's talking about the tribulation. He's not talking about the rapture or anything that the church is going to experience. The church is gone at this point. But he says in Matthew 24 that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached, and he says that it's going to be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations. So there is going to be a message that is preached. You ask who's going to preach the message. We're going to look at it next week, but Revelation chapter 7 says that there are 144,000 Jewish believers that are going to come out of the tribulation, that are going to be saved. I believe that that's what Paul talks about in Romans when he says all of Israel, that's all of believing faithful Israel is going to be saved. Revelation 7 talks about the 144,000. So those believers are going to have an opportunity to spread the word of the Lord. And then... Later in Revelation, we're going to talk about the two witnesses. Revelation talks about two witnesses. We'll get into who we believe those two witnesses are. 
what we do know about the two witnesses is they preach. And they preach to a lost world. And to a world that is in the middle of the greatest outpouring of wrath that the world has ever seen. And then lastly, well, there's one other I'd like to mention after this one. But Revelation talks about, and I believe it's Revelation 14, talks about an angel that is going to fly all across the world. And that angel is going to preach the gospel. And he calls it the everlasting gospel. There's an everlasting gospel that that angel is going to proclaim all across the world. So there are, there are going to be preachers. The other thing, when the church is raptured out, you know what doesn't get raptured out? The word of the Lord. Word of the Lord stays behind. Church goes, but this physical leather-bound Bible, this book is going to remain behind. There are going to be people who have access to the Word of God even during the Great Tribulation. And they're going to have an opportunity to read the Word and to hear from God in that way. So we have all of this happening. You've got all of these that are saved during that time. And then they experience, uh, as I said, tribulation like the world has never seen. That's who John hears when this seal is broken. Now, it says that they're under the altar. What does under the altar mean? Neither in the English or in the original language, Greek, that it was originally written in, does it tell us what the altar is that is being talked about. I've read many commentaries. There are a few of them that throw out, it's talking about this altar or it's talking about that altar. I'm going to be honest enough to say, we just know it's an altar. There's an altar in heaven. We don't know which altar it is. But underneath this altar is the souls of these that have been martyred for Christ, faithful to Christ, and they're crying out for vengeance. I wanted to park right here in this portion and just say this. This is talking about the prayers of saints. Now, we're living in a day when people are telling us that prayer is just something we do. It's something that makes us feel good, Brother Jeff. It just helps us get through our day. That's why we pray. Church is, prayer is just something that the church does um, to gain confidence, to kind of help themselves keep believing. It doesn't really make a difference. It's just something they do. It's just another thing on their schedule that they check off so they can say that they're a good Christian. That's a lie from hell. We read right here in the book of Revelation, the fifth seal being opened up. And what happens? The prayers of those that have been slain for Christ reach heaven and reach the ears of the Lord. And what does the Lord tell them? First, he says that he's going to give them white robes. And he gives them white robes. And then he says, just he gives them a promise, just wait a little while longer. There's more that's going to join you. There's more that's going to get martyred for my name and they're going to join you. And then I'm going to pour out my wrath like the world has never seen before. And that leads us to this last portion of chapter 6. The sixth seal. Now, I said before, we don't know how much time has passed, right? 
It's not just like seconds. It's not just like he's opening the entire thing one after another simultaneously. It's not what's happening. There's time that's passing between each of these seals. I don't know how much time passes between the fifth seal when Jesus tells those martyrs that they've got to wait just a little bit and the breaking of that sixth seal. But when this sixth seal is broken, the world is devastated. The wrath of God is poured out like never before. It makes the first four seals look like child's play. It really does. It's the wrath of God on a scale never before seen, and he does it on behalf of believers that were slain during the tribulation. Let's look at it. Verses 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Henry Morris is a theologian slash scientist, and he's got some good insight onto, because you got to wonder, how can all of this stuff happen? So I find this information useful for myself, and I wanted to give it to you tonight. Listen to this. This is his commentary on verse number 12 there. A great physical cataclysm will suddenly strike while the inhabitants of the earth are still suffering under the famines, plagues, and violence of the earlier seal judgments. For the first time in history, at least since the upheavals of the great flood, a global earthquake will convulse the earth, accompanied by tremendous volcanic eruptions spewing vast quantities of dust particles into the upper atmosphere, turning the atmosphere of the sun into darkness and the moon, the appearance rather, of the sun into darkness and the moon blood red. There's a quaking that's going to take place. And here's what's interesting. That word there, it's translated earthquake, but it's really, it's only used once and it's shaking is the word. There's going to be a shaking because when we think of earth, earthquake, we think of just the earth shaking and causing problems. This is a universal shaking that's going to take place. How do I know that? Look at the next verse. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. So the universe, God shakes the universe. And literally, now it's translated stars, and that word there could mean anything from actual stars to it could mean, um, what is it, the pieces of rock? I just, I just dropped it. Somebody throw it out. Asteroids coming to earth and hitting the earth. Thank you for your help. I believe it's probably going to be more like that. Pieces of asteroids, that kind of thing, rock that's going to hit the earth. And here's why. We know that the uh, sun is a star many times bigger than the earth. So if a star ever gets close enough to the earth to hit the earth, the earth is gone. And it'll be gone actually before it actually makes contact. That's how large uh, stars are. So what this is, is this is asteroids, media, uh, meteorites, all of that flying towards the earth and hitting the earth, all because the Lord shook the universe. 
it says like untimely figs. So that's literally like grabbing a fig tree and shaking it and the figs that are falling off. That's like the asteroids that are going to be coming to hit the earth. Then it says, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. So John here doesn't exactly know how best to describe what's happening. He's using the best explanation that he can muster up. Here's what he's talking about. When a scroll would get old and you would unroll it, it would be dried out and many times, about halfway through, it would crack straight down the middle and it would roll back on both sides. And so John says, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Literally, John sees the sky part, rolled back. And it says, whatever it is, and I don't have all the science to explain or describe what is going on, and I wish I did, but whatever happens causes every island and mountain to be moved out of its place. That's the, that's the chaos that is going to hit the world at this time. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. It is going to get so bad at that time, can I just say I don't want to be a part of it. I want to be raptured out of here. It's going to be so bad that even the most powerful men and women on earth are going to flee to mountains to crawl in holes. And because of fear, they are going to beg the mountains. And that's ironic too, isn't it? Instead of when the world is literally falling apart around them, instead of going to God in repentance and looking for rescue and help and mercy, they pray to the mountains, fall on us. The fear will be so great in that day that they would rather have suicide. They would rather die by a rock slide then live any longer in the world that is left by the devastation of God. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? You talk about fear and isn't that, that's what I'm talking about. We work so hard in 2021 trying to convince people not to be afraid of the God that we serve, but there's coming a day when everyone is going to fear him. Now, we are told to fear God, and it's a form of respect, right? What is, what is the, the fear of God that's talking about, that's talked about in Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is that fear of the Lord? That's not fear as in I'm afraid of God. That's fear of living my, my life outside of the wisdom of God. That's, that's respect for God. But this fear is wholly different. 
And if we can't get them now, if we can't convince people now to fear God in the sense of respect for God and God's word and God's ways, how do I fear God right now? You fear God by raising families that honor God. You fear God by going and working a job to the best of your ability to honor and bring glory to God. Young people, you fear God by doing your very best at school and honoring Him with the grades that you make. That is fear of God. How do we fear God? We fear God. We respect God by letting people know about the God that we serve. That's how we fear God. But there's coming a day where if we don't fear God now in that way, if we don't worship Him with everything we've got and bring Him glory in that way, in the, in the mundane things of life, there's coming a day when we're going to fear Him in the very sense of that word is terror. Terror. We're going to be terrorized by that God. People that don't get it right now, if they don't fear God now, are going to be terrorized by him. Literally the term there, I was researching and reading it, it's literally being scared to death. Your heart stopping because of fear. There are going to be people in that day that literally drop dead because of fear. The rest, those that live, are going to run to mountains. Think about it. We've got people, if you asked anyone in here, what is your greatest fear? We'd have all kinds of answers, right? Somebody will give us spiders. Somebody will give us clowns. Somebody will give us homework. We've got all kinds of fears, crazy fears. I will be honest. I have an irrational fear of wasp. It's a real thing. I can't stand them. And you know what that happens when you get stung in the face and your eye blow, your face blows up to about four times its, its normal size. It kind of causes a fear to get a hold of you. Amen. Have you had it happen to you, Denver? There you go. I've had it. I've experienced it. My God. See, that's a, that's not an irrational fear. That's a legitimate fear of wasp. But there are people that have irrational fears. My mother, you could come beside her and you could just make a bug noise. Doesn't have to be an actual bug, a bug noise. And she's going to hit you with a scream. That'll, you'll have an irrational fear of Sister Stacy's scream after she's done. Amen. There are people that fear all kinds of crazy things. Um, if you go and you look up uh, phobias, one expert was saying that she's had uh, even fears. There are people that fear falling in the toilet. They go to, there are people that see psychologists for this kind of fear. I'm talking about fear right now. Fear. Crazy, crazy stuff. There are people that They'll never play a game because, you know what else I'm afraid of? I'll just say it. Germs. I can't stay. I'm not afraid of them. It's more like a hate relationship. I hate germs. It just bothers me. So we've got a world that literally, we love to talk about what we're afraid of. In fact, Hollywood makes billions of dollars every year playing on the fear of people. Best-selling books, horror books. Best-selling movies, horror movies. You know what we love to do? We love to go to theme parks and pay people money to scare us. How high can the roller coaster get? How close to death can I feel and still feel alive? 
There are people, Brother Rick, that will jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Perfectly good airplane. All because they want to feel fear. But they don't want to feel a genuine fear. They want to feel an artificial fear. They want to be afraid, but not like really afraid. And so we've got a world that literally loves this stuff. You know why the book of Revelation, there are some crazy, uh, there are some crazy conspiracy theories that come out of the book of Revelation because we love fear. We love it. We love to sit there and, and we'll Google and we'll spend hours on YouTube listening to people scare us to death about the things that are coming. We love fear. But the problem is nobody, we fear everything. There, you can find a person that fears everything. There's somebody that fears the color brown. So they will not step into this church because we've got brown, I think that's brown chairs. It's brown wood anyways. You will find somebody that's afraid of whatever. You can find them. You can find people that are afraid of everything. The, the most common fear actually is fear of public speaking. Everybody's got a fear. But nobody fears God. We're living in a world that fantasizes and spends money, billions of dollars every year on fear, but no one can gender up enough respect for God to be afraid of that future without Him and the world that is going to come. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, this is not, uh, I love how one person said, we have the privilege of seeing the future when we read Revelation. This is not just a storybook. This is not a fairy tale to keep children from sleeping at night. This is real stuff. And this is a real world that's coming. And I don't want to experience it. I want to be saved. I want to be on that first trip out in the rapture because I don't want to experience this side of God. Amen? If you want to stand. I'm coming to a close. Fear, right? I don't want, I'm not what I'm, I, let me go ahead and clarify tonight. I'm not saying that our goal should be to go find someone that's lost in the world and just scare them to death with the Bible. But I am saying that we shouldn't try to color coat and whitewash and water down this part of the Bible just to please somebody. They need to know that there's a future that is going to be their future if they don't get right with God. A future, a day is coming when we are no longer going to have that option. When the wrath of the Lord is being poured out and everyone in the world, from the most powerful to the most poverty-stricken person, literally, it says, is going to be scared to death. Many are going to actually die from fear and those that don't actually die from fear are going to run to the mountains and they're going to want the mountains to fall on them because they're so afraid of the wrath that God is pouring out. That day is coming. If we're going to be afraid of anything and perfect love casts out fear. So I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not in favor of just finding fears, finding things that we're afraid of and playing on our fears. But if we're going to be afraid of something, be afraid of living eternity without God. Be afraid of experiencing Revelation chapter 6 and the other things that we're going to see in the book of Revelation. If you're going to have a healthy, godly fear, that's where to find that fear. 
You don't need to look to Hollywood. You don't need to look to the, the horror writers of the day. You don't need to look to all that to try to find fear, you know, to stir up that, to get some chemicals going in your brain where you really feel like you're afraid, but you're not actually afraid. You're still safe. You need to trust the Word of God. Amen. I wonder if tonight, and I know this has been heavy, and I, I explained that, right? As we were studying the book of Revelation, I explained that there was going to be nights that are going to come along where sometimes it might be, it might seem a little dry, but hopefully it's the word of the Lord and you can find something good in it anyways. There are going to be nights like this one where it's very heavy, where you feel like, my God, I came to church to get encouraged and I left with a new fear. Sometimes that's going to happen on a Wednesday night. We've got a lot more to go in the book of Revelation. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going to hit this world. A lot of scary stuff that's going to hit this world. But if you're living right, and I just want to say this. If you're living right, if you're faithful to God, if you're obeying the word of God and doing everything you can to please him, you should be able to read the book of Revelation without fear in your heart. That fear is for those that are not living for God. Those that are playing games with God or those that don't even want anything to do with God that are outside the church, they're the ones who should have a healthy fear of what's coming. But if you're living right, you've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, living holy under the Lord, separated under the Lord, you have no fear. You ought to lay your head down at night and just say, thank God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. At the end of the book, that's what the saints are praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're not afraid. I'm not afraid of the appearing of the Savior that I serve every day. I'm excited. I'm looking for it. I'm afraid for the world. I'm afraid for those that don't know Him. I'm afraid for those that are going to be left behind and have to deal with the wrath of God. That's who I'm afraid for. I wonder if tonight we could find a place to pray. And we pray every Sunday, right? We pray for prodigals. We pray for people that have been associated with this church but are no longer attached to this church. We pray for lost loved ones. We pray for lost friends. I wonder if tonight, if we could just find for the next five to 15 minutes, find a place to pray. I want you to think of somebody that you know that is lost. A friend, a loved one, a prodigal that's been attached to this church. And I want us for the next little bit just to mention their name up in prayer. Bring them before God. Could you do that right now? Could you find a place to pray? Let's pray for some prodigals. Let's pray for some lost souls. If you're living right, you don't have to experience revelation, but somebody's going to experience the wrath of God that's poured out. And I don't want it to be any of my loved ones and any of my friends. I want God to do something in them and through them. Could you do that right now?